All right, Mustafa Briggs is with us. Mashallah. Uh, it's um, are we all good, guys? Alhamdulillah. Let me know when to start. Great to see you again. I'm just trying to figure out the sound on this. Which do I mute and which me do too. I not? Yeah, man, I'm a grandpa. When everyone's a the... Everyone's a producer. Everyone's a producer these days. <laughs> you have to kind of do it yourself, right? I know. But I don't know. You got your team there with you. I'm just here trying to figure it out by myself. I'm just like, what do I do? But Alhamdulillah. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. And before this, uh, well, I struggled a lot learning how to put cameras up, and it's not something I knew how to do. And it was always frustrating. That's why our live stream was on and off and on and off. But now that we have the crew, Alhamdulillah, may Allah reward them. We're on all the time. Alhamdulillah. And we're happy to have you. Alhamdulillah. Happy it was a to quick turnover. Happy to, happy to be here with you, alhamdulillah. Yeah, we only met a couple of days ago, and then now, alhamdulillah, we're on the live together. Alhamdulillah. So why don't we start first by bismillah and salam the Prophet, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about yourself. Okay. Right. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa Allahumma salli salatan kamira wa sallam salamat. على سيدنا محمد الذي تنحن بالعقد وتنبرج بالكرب تقضى بالحوائج وتنار بالرغائب وحسن الخواتم ويستسقي الغمام بوجه الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد الفاتح لما أغلق والخاتم لما سبق ناصر الحق بالحق والهادي إلى صراطك المستقيم صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه حق قدره ومقداره العظيم Ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, a guest today who is an author of a book. First, we're going to talk about himself, some bio uh, biographical questions. So, for example, I, I lived in London. Where do you live in London? Uh, I live in Camden in London. I currently live in Egypt. Oh, yes. But, we yeah. talked about that. Yes. The, yeah, yeah, I'm from Camden. Camden. So, you grew up and you became a Muslim or you were born Muslim? So, I became Muslim. I became Muslim at the age of 13. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 13, that's young. So tell us about that. What were you thinking about? I was just thinking about um, traveling back to, so I used to travel back to the Gambia where my grandmother's from with my grandma and her side of the family. And I witnessed mm. that everybody in Gambia essentially is Muslim. Gambia is over 90 something percent Muslim. Um, but my family came from a Christian minority. And so I was wondering why is everybody in my country Muslim? started doing research, realized the influence that West Islam had in West Africa, realized the history of how Christianity entered West Africa, compared the two, compared the two ideologies at a young age and decided that being Muslim makes more sense to me than being Christian. So I decided to switch. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of 13-year-olds, they do stuff that bothers <laughs> their parents. Not all of them change religions. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was number one, a very mature thing for you to, to be thinking that way at that age. Mm. Not a lot of people think about that at that age. But also at the same time, you're still under your parents' roof, mm. right? Mm. So that must have elicited a reaction from them. Yeah, subhanAllah. So the thing with my parents is, or with my, I, I grew up with my mother and my grandmother and essentially with them, because they grew up in Gambia, they were used to Muslims. So for them in the beginning, it was more just about, okay, well, what kind of Muslim is he? Is he the ones that's gonna try and blow up buildings? Or is he the one that we grew up with that do vicar and, you know, our peaceful folks? So when they realized that, in the beginning, it was a bit of a challenge. But after a while, when they realized who my teachers were, who my shiyuh were, who were, you know, people who they had, they know or they grew up seeing, then they were more comfortable with the idea of me being Muslim. And they kind of just thought it was going to be a phase. I was young, I was 13. So they're like, okay, he stopped eating pork. He says he's Muslim. Let's see how long this lasts kind of thing. And it's still it's still going on. Alhamdulillah, the phase has continued. So Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Now here's a question for you: The Christians of Gambia are they like Baptists? They're not. They're no Baptists. I think okay. Baptists are starting now, but traditionally most Gambian Christians are either Anglican, Methodist, or um, Catholic, because those were the different okay. missionary. Um, churches that came in during colonization. So for my family, they're Methodist because the school that they attended was the Methodist school, and you know they they were they had their interaction with the Methodist mission. So my grandmother grew up Methodist. My mom grew up Methodist. 
They went to Methodist so, High School, Methodist um, Junior School, etc. And then, yeah. Okay, so the Methodists, they're not like the Baptists in that they're ex- like really, uh, um, I should say, passionate about you know the religion and they really view the Muslims as taking away their youth. Because that's how it is here. Okay, no, in the Gambia, it's not like that at all. In the Gambia, the Methodists are very traditional. They're very... Um, they don't, they don't see Muslims as a threat because there's not really a large conversion of people to Islam in the Gambia, except when it comes to like marriage. So you see a lot of Methodist women, for example, will marry Muslim men and then become Muslim. Or like my yeah. uncle is one case where he was a Methodist man. He wanted to marry a Muslim woman, so he became Muslim. But the religious tension that exists in a lot of countries, especially other West African countries, doesn't exist in the Gambia, which is, you know, very surprising. Um, everybody is super peaceful with each other. Everybody loves each other. Everybody, you know, like they all grew up together. So they don't have that kind of Christian versus Muslim mentality. It's, it's more like a, it's Christmas. Let's go to our Christian friend's house and celebrate. It's Eid. Let's go to our Muslim friend's house and cel- celebrate mentality. Okay. So it's, it's fluid in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Very fluid. Okay. So let's take this next step. Uh, you come back to England Mm. How does a 13-year-old, and what year are we talking that there's internet? At this yeah, time yeah, there's internet. information from there? Yes, yeah, so 2007 was when I took Shahada. There so was a, there's not a lot of stuff on the internet at the time? Nah, not, there's no Safina yeah. Society or, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you, so you couldn't be a high school listening to the uh, Safina Society podcast and getting jacked up. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so how did you learn? Like, how did you go about this? You didn't have a car. Well, you know it has a car in London. Yeah, in London, no one has a car. So, you know, we're jumping on the tube anyway. So, (laughs) essentially, what's interesting is, so I took Shahada with the grandson of Sheikh Ibrahim Nias. Initially, yeah, my... my, In in Gambia? No, so in the UK. So they used to come and visit the UK. They had a large community. Mm -hmm. They still have a large community there. So the the person that I had initial contact with was Sheikh Hassan Sise. And he okay. was the one that connected me with his younger brother, Sheikh Mahi Sise. When Sheikh Mahi Sise came to England, I took Shahada with him. And then I took Tariqa from Sheikh Hassan. So what happened is they have a niece that lives in England. Her name was Sheikha Aisha Sise. And she had a Quran school. So when I was about 14, 15, I got sent to that Quran school. Like, well, I didn't get sent. I started going myself. And she was essentially my first, like, person-to-person teacher. Obviously, I had read all of the pamphlets. I had done the, you know, the internet Islam, the Prophet's Prayer described, ETC. But the first kind of in-house teachers that I had, according to, you know, the tradition of sitting at the feet of a scholar, it was at the feet of this woman who came from a lineage of hundreds of years of, you know, scholarship in West Africa. She had memorized the Quran when she was about 12 or 13. She had studied Maliki Fiqh with her father. She had studied Ahadith. She had studied, you know, back home in Medibai. And um, it was her that taught me, you know, Alif Batasa and taught me my initial alphabet, taught me, you know, I memorized just Amma and a few other things with her. Is that nice, me? Is that uh, your smoke alarm going off? No, no. It's, I don't know what, what was that it noise? Was. That was weird. But yes, my initial studies were with her and her husband, um, Ibrahim, Sheikh Ibrahim Khalil Nyas, who's also a, a, dis- a relative of Sheikh Ibrahim. He's a great grandson of Sheikh Ibrahim through his mother. And... So, yeah, both of them were my first teachers. And then from there, you know, I kept on studying and continuing the tradition. Okay, good. So if you're if you're listening or watching from London, uh, where is their center so that people can go benefit from? So they are in Luton, and their center is called Darul Kitab Wal Hikmah. Um, yeah, Luton. Yeah, they're in Luton. So I used to Maybe jump on the train. Minutes. Yeah, I, I live in Kentish Town, so there was a direct train to Luton. So I would jump on the train half an hour every weekend there and back or head down okay. to King's Cross get the get the train yeah okay good so you study with them and they're still active there they're still active there yeah they established the school um a couple of years ago okay, and they're good. still running that's it nice. that's nice all right so you so you start studying tell me more did you travel to Senegal or the Gambia? Yes, yeah, so I started to travel to Senegal and the Gambia around 2009. Um, so like with the intention of visiting the Shiv and benefiting from them, 2009. And from then, 
I was going kind of every year, every summer, every like vacation, every time I had an opportunity, I would try and be there. And then the same time as well, the sons of Sheikh Ibrahim, yes, one of the sons of Sheikh Ibrahim, yes, Sheikh Mohammed al-Makki, would always visit the UK for like two, three months at a time. So I would always be spending time with him, doing khidmah, you know, learning from him, taking from him. Um, and then when it came time for me to go to college, that was when, you know, I really took things seriously. So I, I was able to go to Mauritania for just under a year and study out with the community out there. I was able to go to Senegal, the Gambia for a couple of months and take take benefit. And I was doing that all throughout my college degree, as well as, you know, studying what I could in the UK. And this, uh, in Mauritania, who's the sheikh there? So uh, there was a few, but the main sheikh of the village where I was, he's called Sheikh Al-Khairi. And um, he has his older brothers, Sidi Mohamdi and uh, Ustad Mohammed Yahya. So Ustad Mohammed Yahya is in charge of teaching Oda Mutun and everything to do with language. And he's a language specialist, but he teaches everything else. He has he runs the Mahdara essentially. Um, and then his younger brother, Sidi Mohammed, is in charge of you know the spiritual things. So he study like Tasawwuf and Hakaik and all of those kind of things with him. And then um, yeah. And then there's other teachers the in the village as well. Yeah, there's yeah. So they were students of Sheikh Ibrahim, yes, but they're Mauritanian. They come from a tribe called Dao Ali, who are Shurafa, they're descended from the Prophet. Um, and they were, you know, Ulama, his great grandfather, Badi bin Sidin, but was uh, you know the Khalifa of Sheikh Muhammad al Hafiz uh Shinkiti. And you know, they they came from a large tradition of scholarship, and then in the thirties, forties, fifties they started to travel to Senegal and take from Sheikh Ibrahim Yass. So they had all kind of studied or benefited from Sheikh Ibrahim Yass directly, but they are, you know, Mauritanian, 100%. Okay, there's also Tijaniya in Egypt, which is Sheikh Salah. Is there a connection yes. between them? Or they like have like good relations? They have they very good relations. Other? So, you know, Sheikh Ibrahim Yass used to travel to um, Egypt in the 60s. And so the main sheikh there was the sheikh al-Hadith of al-Azhar. His name was Sheikh Muhammad Hafiz al-Misri. Um, and so Sheikh Ibrahim Yass and Sheikh Muhammad Hafiz, they were both very good friends. They used to, you know, correspond very well. Sheikh Ibrahim would visit him anytime he went to Egypt. And Muhammad Hafiz and Sheikh Ibrahim both have ijazat from Sidi Ahmed Sukhairij, who was one of the main, you know, ulama of Fas. Sidi Ahmed Sukhairij took from Sidi Ahmed Abdullahi. He took from Sidi Ali Tamasini, who took from Sheikh Ahmed of Tijani. So their silsila and their sanad kind of connects there. Okay, so so you're starting from Mauritania. Now you're in Egypt. Yeah, now Give I'm in the Egypt. Compare and contrast. <laughs> the compare and contrast is like Egypt, there's electricity, there's malls, there's Uber, there's, you know, you live in the modern world. Mauritania is very much like sand and houses. <laughs> tell, tell me how you're tolerating the, uh, firstly, the environment in Mauritania, physically. Uh -huh. Secondly, the actual, uh, the, the people of Egypt are not easy to deal with. Especially Cairo, everyone is, is struggling. Everyone's aggressive. Mm. Everyone's annoyed, right? It's yeah. not easy to deal with the people of Cairo, so... I'm glad you're at full liberty that. to talk because you're Egyptian, so, you know, I'm really like, you could get away with talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, Cairo, honestly, it's not, it's not easy, but I would say this is one of the best periods of my life, and there wouldn't be anywhere else I would have preferred to be, especially at this age, in my 20s. This is the this is the place, alhamdulillah. It takes adjusting to, but I feel as though the secret in that is, you know, the tarbiyah that you get in dealing with people. It's very easy to study books that tell you, oh, have sabr, have muraqaba, be like this, be like that, and then you live in a comfortable environment where those things are not tested. But when you study, for example, Ihya Ulumuddin, the last 30 books, and then you go out into the world and you have to deal with the Uber drivers and the taxi drivers and the, and the chaotic environment and all of these things, it puts, the, it puts all of that into practice. And I feel as though Egypt is a very special and sacred land. If we look at the stories of the ulama, um, I mean, the stories of the Anbiya, sorry, most of the Nabiyin mentioned in the Quran had spent time in Egypt. And then if you look at the stories of a lot of the ulama, especially the ulama of Tasawwuf, most of them as well have passed time in Egypt. So I remember one of my scholar, one of my teachers in Senegal used to say, 
nobody's wilaya is complete until they spend time in Egypt. And if you look at all of the aktab of the ummah, they all spent time in Egypt. See this <laughs> this uh, Imam al-Shadili spent time here, Imam al-Rafai, uh, Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi, Hatta Shaykh Ahmed al-Tijani, you know, he spent a couple of years here. All of them passed through here the same way if we look at the Anbiya, Sayyidina Idris, according to some narrations, Sayyidina Ibrahim, definitely we know, spent time here. Sayyidina Yusuf and Sayyidina Yaqub, because his father came and joined him with the brothers. Uh, or Sayyidina Ishaq, sorry, and Sayyidina Yusuf, um, Sayyidina Musa, etc. A lot of these Anbiya passed through here. And then we also have a lot of Ahlul Bayt here as well, depending on the reports that you believe, either the Damascus reports or the Cairo reports, but we have <laughs> a lot of the grandchildren of the Prophet and buried here. So it's a blessed land, it's a blessed land, and it's a land mentioned in the Quran. Um, and obviously Allah manifests his blessings through shukr al-jamal or through sabr al-jalal. And all of that is manifest here, you know? So alhamdulillah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, okay. So you studied there, you studied here, and then you wrote a book. Yeah, then I... <laughs> Let's hear about the book. I love the way you joke. It's like, okay, you studied here, you studied there, you wrote the book. <laughs> but yeah, the trajectory was essentially, I studied, um, I did my, my bachelor's degree at Westminster University. It was Arabic and international relations. And I, my dissertation focused on Arabic literature and literacy in West Africa. After that, I did my master's at SOAS. And then after that, I've come here now to Egypt, to Azhar. And throughout that time, I had been giving presentations on the relationship between blackness and Islam, black history in the Quran, black history around the Prophet Sallallahu um, history of Islam in West Africa, all of those things. And I had a presentation, I had a lecture series called Beyond Bilal, which I've been giving for the past um, three to four years. I started in 2018, 17, 18. Everyone's saying my voice is cutting out. My apologies. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. So, maybe on Insta, it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But maybe it's their thing, too. Yeah. I oh, know everyone's saying it. So there's sort of a... Uh, it's Mustafid. <laughs> oh, subhanAllah. Uh, my okay, apologies. But we can, I can hear you. And um, so after a while, every time I gave the lecture and I managed, I've been invited to, mashallah, so many MSAs across so many different universities. I've done the lecture at. Yale, I've done it at Harvard, I've done it at, you know, NYU, I've done it at Columbia. I did it at so many places and a lot of the students were asking if this was in a book form or if they could get it in a book or if I could send them the slides, etc. So I decided last year to turn the presentation into a book so that it would be available and the information will be easily accessible. Okay, good. So it's, a, it's mainly a book of biographies, right? Right. It's biographies. Um, Yes, kind of. About okay. half of you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Now, you're taking this book and you're teaching it, or you're you were lecturing about it. Uh, did you finish? Is your tour over, or there's still more? So the tour's over. The tour got cut short because I had to um, come back to Egypt and do some and do a, a tour here. I was hosting some people and I had forgot about it. But essentially, I did the six week um, book tour. Started in New York ended in um, Detroit and Atlanta, which is where we met. And um, yeah, alhamdulillah, it's been lecturing. It's been a mixture of lecturing and touring. That's good. So now as an author, as somebody who's, you're studying, uh, I guess you're studying with the different Sheikh Fozi, Sheikh Zuhair in Egypt, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not used to study with them. I, didn't, I haven't studied with them in a minute, but uh, yeah. alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Good. Oh, so who do you study with them? So my main teachers here are, there's a teacher called Shah Abdurrahman Wal-Nahwi, uh -huh. and he's um, from Mauritania, but he's doing his PhD at Azhar. So I study fiqh and memorize different mutun with him. And then I was studying with Shah Ahmed Tijani Al-Azhari as well, studying like language, Luga with him. Then I attend different uh, durus, hadith, etc. I'm about to start again with um, Shaykh Al-Khamis Suleiman, who was teaching in Darul Mustafa. I think you might have met him out there. He studied, he was teaching hadith and things from there. And so he's coming to um, Egypt. And so he's about to start his program here. And then as well as that, doing the regular Azhar program. Okay, so then what's your future when you go back to England? Are you, oh, where are you going to teach? I haven't planned it, man. I haven't planned anything. You want to go back and be a big dare, you know? Uh, no, subhanAllah. I, I, that was never the plan in the first place. My plan was just to 
first, my family and my mom's side are diplomats, a lot of them. And so my initial plan was to just study international relations and then go into diplomacy or go into the third sector. That was my original goal. Mm-hmm. And then in university, I kind of changed my mind. Initially, initially, I wanted to be an investment banker. That was my first, first thing when I was in high school. Then the plan changed, and then I was going to go into diplomacy. I was going to go into international relations or the third sector, work for the UN or something. And then as my time in university was coming to an end, I switched, and I said I want to be a translator, which is why I did the um, master's degree in translation. And then I came to Egypt to study Elm just for personal, like my personal development i wanted to understand the deen that i was practicing properly i wanted to study all of the ulum just so that i could have that information as a muslim but i didn't plan on doing anything with it but then the whole public speaking thing and the book and everything it, it was like allah kind of through the request of people and so for me i only responded in khidmah to people and in order to you know provide the services that people were requesting of me and then, like, fast forward, I'm blinking, and then now I'm on, you know, Instagram Live with Dr. Shadil Misri. So well, <laughs> well, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. You you may have just went for yourself, but you have a bid'a right now. You have a product yeah. right now. And there's a lot of people thirsty for that product. And you have a convert's experience. The amount of conversion that's going on in Europe right now, and England in particular, people are needed there's manpower is is really in demand and and people are really needed uh to be individual personal you know help even if you go out and become a banker or become a um, some other form of millionaire Allah give you the tawfiq but I mean, I mean, on the I side now that i've studied but yeah <laughs> people are going to come to you whether you know it or not whether you choose it or not because in the way this dawah works it's from Malaika. Uh, there was a da'i at one time. He was a teacher teaching the basic mutun, as you know, most of people are doing, teaching mutun. Mm-hmm. A young man came up to him and he said, after a I said, are you so-and-so? He said, yeah, I'm so-and-so. Right? Are you so-and-so? He said, he said yeah, okay, last night right. I saw an angel in a dream said, told me okay, go study with last so-and-so. Last night I saw an angel in a dream told me go study with so-and-so. So, it's you. So, if you have a bidah, you have a will send you the people. And that's why yeah. you know, that's, this why, dawah, this, that's how dawah, it really works. That's how it really works. If you got the right if thing, you if you're the doing right the right thing, thing, then Allah will send you Allah people. Allah will send you people. Right? Mm-hmm. That's really right. how it works. And that's probably much what you should expect once you get back to England because you don't realize the ni'mah of all the classes that you're able to take. You know, in Egypt, in, back in my day, this thing, it didn't really exist. Like, we couldn't communicate with the, uh, you know, world o- over the Atlantic or the Arab countries and discover what they had. We couldn't discover what they had. We couldn't communicate with scholars on WhatsApp. The schools did not have websites. There's no such thing. The only way to do things was to physically go there, get lost, get messed up, get waste time, waste money, until you learn and figure, you know, how things work. Mm-hmm. It was really hard in my day, but you guys. I mean, you said your day, and how old are you, man? But here's the thing: I'm not that old, but the technology changed so quick. Yes, yeah, it's crazy. Right? Yeah, imagine, imagine this. And you can ask Chef Zohar. Mm-hmm. Most of the Maliki Turaf, the the, the legacy, the, the, the art books, were not available almost 15 years ago. Right, you get right. a couple get books. A couple books. Most of them Most were of in them manuscript, were in manuscript form. form. Now, within such a short time, the entire Torah of like Islam is on in Maktaba.org. Like, there's more like, than you'll more ever finish yeah. in your entire in life. Your entire life. Mm-hmm. The amount of the PDFs amount that they have, you'll yeah, never finish you'll never it in your entire, your entire life. life. Mm-hmm. And this is almost and like almost you like blinked and it happened. Right? That's how it feels for someone who, when I was 20 years old. To talk to, to a talk sheikh to from, a abroad from abroad was something that, was something required. that required calling card. Calling card. You had to call his house. house. You had to mm. scream. Had to He's screaming on the other, on end. The other end, right? right. Yeah. Stuff doesn't happen now. You leave a voice yeah. note on WhatsApp yeah. for a sheikh, for a usually sheikh. a little bit younger. He answers you right back. So it's such a different world. It changed just like that. And people are going to need this knowledge. Because even when people studied back in the day and they came back to their country, 
there was only like a handful of Muslims to serve, right? And now there's there are tons of Muslims to serve. So when you get back, do you have a clue? Are you going to be moving to Camden Town or to Luton? I have no idea, honestly. This like what I find amazing, and what you were explaining earlier, as well as the fact that sometimes or all the time, Allah's the one that plans, and Allah's the one that facilitates and moves the pieces. So for me, like even when I've started doing, you know, this da'wah that I'm doing and classes that I'm teaching, I have more kabul and I have more requests to teach in America than I do in the UK. And my Ajib. wife is American. Why yeah, is that? yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe because America's bigger, there's more people to request. But um, I've done yeah. more work in America and I travel to America more frequently than I do the UK. Like if you think about it, I haven't really done a UK tour. But America, just impromptu, I went for one event and I ended up staying for six weeks, doing an event with Sheikh Omar Suleiman, doing an event with Shahib, Imam Shahib Webb, doing an event with all of these, you know, the kibar of the, you know, da'awat da in, in America about the themes of this book. I went to about 10 different places over six weeks. I met with about 20 different ulama and I was still getting requests to do more events. I just had to cut it short to come back to Egypt. So I feel as though my future might even be in America more than it might be in the UK. Ajay, that's fun. Yeah, 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 to be honest. Tell me something. I have, a wife, I have an American wife. so it Oh, really? From where? She's from LA. LA? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. one so of my father, nicest cities. It's a gorgeous yeah, city. My, my father-in-law is the director of Tiber Foundation. He works with Sheikh Rami in Sur. His name is Ustad Tabari Abdul Zahir. And um, yeah, like I have... Is he not He's his wife is Madhubi. He's he's African American. Oh, okay. MashaAllah. Yeah, so yeah. LA, it's a gorgeous city. Uh yeah. I, I passed through. I've never been to LA, but I've been to San Diego and they told me LA is like the city version, but it's still got the same weather, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, but, I'm surprised you haven't been to LA before. Yeah, I've never been to LA. I haven't I never had the occasion to go to LA. But well, uh, this is my official invitation to yeah. you. <laughs> well, when you're there, I'll come down. I'll have a reason to come down. Here's yeah. a question for you. The vibe in London, it changed a lot when I, from when I was there. When I was in London, there were there were uh, uh, gatherings of traditional Ahl Sunnah scholarship every day of the week. Every day. Really? Every day. There was a Malaysian sheikh. He had Monday. There was an East African sheikh, Sheikh Babikr Bashoib. He had Thursday night. Sheikh Babikr Sudani. Uh, sorry, I mean Abu Bakr Bashoib. Then Sheikh Babikr Sudani, he had Saturday night. It's as if they sort of, it just happened that they each reserve a night, right? There were, it was seven days a week. But I heard, my friends told me, it's all, none of that exists anymore. And it's all a yeah. hardcore Salafi or liberal, either way. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, the way that you're describing London is completely different from the London I grew up. The mm -hmm. only kind of traditional scholarship that I remember growing up was a Sheikh, Sheikh Babikar Sudani. Mm -hmm. I would attend his durus. Um, other than him, I mean, I heard about other things going on, but I never attended. Mm -hmm. um, but the way you're saying that there was a different thing every day, mm -hmm. that was something I never experienced. Sounds yeah. amazing, no? It was an amazing time. <laughs> it was an amazing time. Like, we were literally, um, every single day, there could have been something that you attend. SubhanAllah. Yeah. But I heard that my friend, when I went back after like 10 years, my friend told me, oh, it's all gone. And it's a very hard, tough environment where it's a lot of fighting between liberals and Salafiyya. So uh, is that actually the case? Actually the case. I haven't been in England. I haven't lived there for about three years. Mm. So I can't even really tell you if that's the case or not. But mm. from what I remember, that seems to be the case because I don't remember any Druze like classical... Oh. Islamic scholarship or traditional scholarship happening, especially every day of the week. I know Shah Babika, and I think as well, a lot of it depends on the area that you live in. So me being in Camden, it was central London. In central London, it was only kind of Shah Babika doing anything. Mm -hmm. I hear about things in West London or East London, but with the hour travel time, etc., it would be something I wouldn't know about. So I know in Ilford, for example, there's a lot of traditional scholarship there. A lot of durus are happening. A lot of things are going on. There's the CEI as well that somebody in the comments mentioned. Mm -hmm. Sheikh Ahmed Saad was also teaching when I was young. Um, he was in Finsbury Park Mosque and he would have durus and halakat every Friday and every Monday. And then when he transferred to Palmer's Green Mosque as well. So yeah, 
and then yeah, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad's in Cambridge as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, be honest, to be honest, the real source, the real of, it source all, of it all, the spark, the spark was, was Sheikh Hamza's visits. visits. Oh, Hamza wow. used, used to visit. To visit. And he would and do a, he would massive, do a event massive event at the friend's house. All the shuk and all the people would come. He created yeah, he yeah, was a spark plug. I remember friend's house. I never got to see Sheikh Hamza there, but I got to see Habib Ali Jifri there and Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad and a few others. Um, yeah. Sheikh Nazim yeah. and Sheikh uh, Kabani. Mm-hmm. Those guys and she, were there. And uh, it was also um, uh, Rifat Sheikh in Hounslow. He used mm-hmm. to bring Sheikh Muhammad Sheikh. Yaqubi. He used yeah. to bring, sometimes it was Sheikh Hamza, Sheikh, uh, it was Habib Ali Jafri. It was so many shiuk in Hounslow. And Sheikh Muhammad Yaqubi was all about the studying. It would, they would study literally like um, two days straight. You'd go in Friday night and you would spend 48 hours. So by Sunday afternoon, you'd leave. And you know how it is with Sheikh Muhammad Yaqubi. You don't move. You don't get breaks, right? It was hardcore. But we would go, we would leave like as if someone powered you up, right? And we would go back and we would, you know, there was a lot of activity. Uh, spawned from and then the visits of the late radical middleway. Who was the brother behind that? He passed away. So those were the good old days. And then it all just. I guess it fizzled out. I don't know what happened. Inshallah, there'll be a fish deed. Well, you got to go revive it, man. <laughs> we'll see. If America doesn't kidnap me. Unless you go to Hollywood. <laughs> if America doesn't take me, then I'll be in the UK. Yeah, so. yeah. You first, you're going to go to LA, get the sun, get Hollywood. You know what? I could not go back to England because I'm just addicted to the sun, right? I, I think I'm solar powered as a person, right? You go out there in England. And it's just gray, I think, 87% of the time. You just get so depressed. That's, that's why you want to send me there. You want to stay in, <laughs> in New Jersey. You do the fun there. there. <laughs> I, see, I see you. I see you. No, no, no. Honestly, yeah. the weather, yeah, I don't want to complain. But, yeah, you, you, said, you said everything. <laughs> I mean, I would wake up. Like, I wake up now, and the, 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 what kickstarts your day, you go up, you put the, the blinds up, and the sun's out, right? Mm-hmm. You just immediately kickstarted. Mm-hmm. You wake up in England, you wake up, and you look out the window, hoping for some sun. It's cloudy. All day it's going to be cloudy, right? Yep, yep. Next day, next day, next day, you start to just start having no hope in humanity. <laughs> I mean, for you, I think maybe because you you had come in from America, you kind of had expectations. But for mm-hmm. us that grew up in the in London, we know like the sun is only for July and August. Yep. Every other time of the year, it's gray. You have your tracksuit on. Those tracksuits, oh my gosh. It all started in England. With <laughs> yeah. like expensive tracksuits and the expensive mm-hmm. sneakers. Yep. Yeah. That look is here now with the flat brim cap. And then like... I noticed. I yep. noticed. You noticed that? Noticed. And, and the chain is more... The most expensive thing he's wearing he's is wearing the chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that actually. And the little side, the sports pouch. Yep, sports pouch, right? Yeah, so all that style came here. When it came here, we were like, "Oh, we know this." Yeah, yeah, I know. I know a few of your students that dress like that. Oh my Some gosh. Of your students that hosted me in New Jersey. Yeah. So, what's one last thing that you could share with our audience about related to Nisfim and Shaban, which is tomorrow? So it is the night in which Allah forgives the sins of everybody who worships him, except for those who have rancor in their hearts. And I feel as though that is the most important message and the most important thing we need to focus on when it comes to the 15th of Sha'ban. Most of us can perfect our outward worship, our amal, but a lot of us find trouble in trying to perfect our spiritual states, our ahwal. And the spiritual state is the most important aspect of the ibadah and not the physical activity. So if we think about, for example, the fact that Allah tells us in Surah Bayyina, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَىٰ لِعَبُدُ اللَّهِ مُخْلِسِينَ لَحُدِّينَ هُنَفَىٰ وَيُقِيمُ السَّلَىٰ وَتَعِ زَكَىٰ وَذَارِكَ دِينِ الْقَيِّمَةِ Let me try to figure out what that sound is before I continue. Yeah. وَذَارِكَ دِينِ الْقَيِّمَةِ 
that that is the religion. Allah tells us that the worship, he makes an ishara about the fact that the worship is based on the spiritual state to make the deen purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to purify that inward and then manifest it through iqam salah wa ita'i zakah. Elsewhere as well, we know that Allah tells us in the Quran, that on Yom Qiyamah, the only benefit that will grant you the success that you're looking for in the Akhirah is having a sound heart. We have a hadith of Qudsi, where we see, for example, the first people to enter, Jahannam, will be the reciter of the Quran, who recited furiyah wa sima, to be seen and to be heard by people, and not fisabilillah, the person who gave sadaqah enters the hellfire because they did their actions for the sake of people and notoriety and not for the sake of Allah. The person who fought jihad and was killed in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, outwardly, the surah of the actions were correct, but the ma'ana, the spiritual reality of the actions was made those actions, take them to the hellfire and not take them into the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So with that, if we reflect upon it, then the spiritual state is the most important aspect of our religion and the most important aspect of practice and it's manifested through obviously take making sure all of our actions are in line with the actions of the prophet وسلم, as allah tells us if you truly love allah then follow me follow the prophet وسلم, and allah will love you if that is the case laylatun nisr shaaban gives us the opportunity to look into our hearts and to see if we still have hatred, if we still have hasad, envy, if we still have all of the spiritual diseases that can cause us and cause our actions to be rejected in the hadra of Allah Taala, And that is the most important thing because the real judgment and the real acceptance is the judgment of the akhirah and the judgment of the batin. It's not the judgment of this world. The munafiqeen who are in the lowest levels of hellfire according to the Sharia, could not be punished. And according to the Sharia, they were Muslim. They all said, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. They all prayed Salah when it came time. They all gave zakah. But Allah describes them as being in the lowest levels of the hellfire. The only difference between them and the mu'minin is their spiritual state, their ahwal. And so the knowledge of tazkiyah, the knowledge of purifying the heart, and the knowledge of muraqaba, looking at our inward states, looking at how we look at others, looking at our relationship with the rest of the ummah and with the rest of creation and purifying our hearts is the most important aspect and so with Nisr Sha'aban we have an opportunity to make sure that we're amongst those who are trying or striving at least to be amongst those people whose inwards are pure and that purity of the inward manifests in the outward those who whose ahwal uh, are in line with the ahwal of the prophet and so their amal and their aqwal come into line with the amal and the aqwal of the Prophet wasallam. And so, yeah, the inward and the outward, the combination of the two, that is the aim of the religion. The inward giving, having more weight in the presence of Allah than the outward, because we know Allah tells us, uh, or the Prophet wasallam tells us in a hadith, that Allah doesn't look at your outward forms, but he looks at the state of your hearts. So Nisr Sha'aban is a time for us to review the state of our hearts and see if we have that poison within us that can cause our ibadah and our ilm to be rejected. That was the same poison that Shaitan had. It was his hatred for Sayyidina Adam, which was a manifestation of his lack of tawfiq and his lack of acceptance of the qada of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that caused his ibadah and his ilm to be rejected. Shaitan, nobody had more ibadah than him. There's not a place in the earth, on the face of the earth, in which Shaitan did not make sujood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaitan, no one had more ilm than him to the point that some reports state that he used to teach the malaika. So, ilm, check. Ibadah, check. But because of the state of his heart and the jealousy he had towards Adam and the kibr that he had, these spiritual diseases that caused his ibadah and his ilm to be rejected. So for us who don't even have ibadah and who don't even have ill, if we have sick hearts on top of that, then there's no there's no safety for us. So that is the importance of also as well the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So this night, inshallah, coming tomorrow night, we pray that Allah accepts our worship, Allah accepts our repentance, and Allah purifies our hearts so that we can be accepted in His presence and in the presence of His beloved, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's uh, a beautiful uh, commentary and a. Uh, am I muted? Um, okay, oh, I think my mic is muted here. Yeah. Okay. So, what Subhanallah is a beautiful commentary, and that's exactly for those who are new to this uh, live stream that we're doing and things. All that we want to do is strengthen each other in the Deen. That's all we want to do, is just strengthen each other in the Deen and and talk about matters of deen that's all that matters to us and then we just want to do it in a way that's sort of easy to swallow right easy to come down and then for those who are just learning those are my favorite people you know people asking questions like how what what is this for shaban what what, what does it mean salawats on the prophet those are the people if like a company if you get in on the ground and you buy stock on the ground you get all the results and all the rewards, right, from that person later on, or from that company later on. Likewise, if you can ever get to one person who's just starting and you explain these fundamentals to them, all of the ibadah that they do later on in life, you're going to have a share in that stock and that reward, right? And to me, one of the most inspirational things to look at is seeing someone who's transforming their lives and seeing someone who's sort of maybe down in a rut and then they... They want to get back. They're searching for something. They want to get out of the situation that they're in and they want to move on. And that's the type of person that our whole organization and this live stream in particular is meant for, is meant to target that type of person. And we say, this is what we got. And one of the best things that we have is the concept of that certain times are blessed. And certain times, if you put in the effort in that time, it's as if you put, you know, a thousand times the effort. And we know Laylatul Qadr is as if, as if it's a thousand nights. Um, uh, Laylatul Qadr, as if uh, it's just as if, you know, it's like, what did they count it? 84 years, a thousand months, right? I think they counted 84 years if you count it all together. Laylatul Nisfi min Shaban is the second greatest night after Laylatul Qadr, according to some of the hadith of the Prophet, that it's even the Eid of angels. Okay, so that's what we're here for. And uh, we thank that Mustafa Briggs for coming on. Uh, to our program and uh, everyone here I think there is a lot of supportive comments and um, uplifting and positive comments from people on Instagram YouTube and Facebook Alhamdulillah and I have to ask you one more thing where can people get your book so you can order the book on www.beyondbilal.com slash the book and it will be available on Amazon in about a week or so we're just working on fulfilling all of the pre-orders and then once all of the pre-orders have arrived to their locations, it will be available for public purchase. But if you order from the website, www.beyondbilal.com slash the book, you'll be able to get your copy, inshallah. Okay, great. So go to beyondbilal.com, right? If you could uh, take that in and try Spread it because a lot of people need to read what's in there uh, and get confidence and see that how vast their deen is, right? It's not limited to any one culture. It's, it's, it's vast and where it's spread takes roots and takes roots in the form of that culture. And that fruit that comes out is going to be unique to anywhere else in the world. Uh, so any other culture in the world. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and to accept the efforts of our Ustad and our brother Mustafa Briggs. Inshallah, next time you are in the area, uh, um, inshallah, you give us a ring and we'll hang out again and we'll do this in person, inshallah ta'ala. Definitely, definitely. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصُوا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ رَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ And some of you had asked if they could just wait five minutes after the interview was over. So we'll do that. We could do, you know, a couple comments that you all have uh, for a few minutes after this interview is over. But for now, I thank Mustafa Briggs, Jazakallah Khairan, for coming. And inshallah, we will see you again 
soon, sooner than later. All right, folks. Uh, so I think the only issue we had is that um, his, his he needed headphones. That's why we had the feedback because he was going with his phone and with his computer, and that's what was causing the interference. So he just needed headphones. But that's it. next time we'll figure that out. Inshallah, Taala. So a uh, couple questions. Can we talk at the end of the session? We'll, we'll, let's talk for about five ten minutes. Uh, we could take Q and A for five ten minutes, and then we'll head off after that. Um, okay, talk to me. Uh, how do we send Salah on the Prophet? This is a question I will answer every single time, 10 times a day if I have to answer that, because if 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 we can, if Allah has honored us to show people how to send Salah on the Messenger, peace be upon him. That's an honor for us. If people stop asking that question, I would get upset. The answer to the question is quite simply, are we using this, by the way? Okay. Uh, the answer to this question is quite simply that you start... You can make Salah on the Prophet with any expression that says Salah and Salam upon him. Allahumma salli wa sallim alayhi. That's the shortest and easiest expression of Salah and Salam on the Messenger. Allahumma salli wa sallim alayhi. That's it. And you have to do a lot of a lot of this in order to feel its benefits and its blessings. A lot. Like hundreds, thousands. And I want to point everyone to that last week's podcast or or this week's podcast, which is up now on the power of Nisf Shaban. With I read, uh, there's always a book that I go through every year, and this book has basically about um, we went over maybe 10, 20 percent of it this uh, on the podcast, and we talked about a lot of other things. All right, so Ryan, any questions before we wrap up? Uh, Safa says, "What about Alayhi Salatu Wasalam?" Yes. That is a, a, a salah upon the messenger. No doubt about it. Ryan, anything on your side? Okay, somebody asked. I've seen some dua for Nisfim and Shaban saying something like, Oh Allah, if you wrote me in Umul mm. as wretched without sustenance, etc., then yes. change me to be Sa'id. Yes, and um, that, that definitely is. It is a dua of Ibn Mas'ud. Let, let's read it. The dua of Sayyidina. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is, uh, I'm going to read it for you right now. I'm going to get it for you. Just give me two seconds. The dua of Sayyidina uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Okay. If my if my iBooks opens up, my iBooks is always stubborn these days. Okay. Let's go into this. My iBooks is stubborn, but it is the dua of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. There's no doubt about that. And um, okay, well, it is uh, it's acting up, but let me let me just look up the exact wording of it. Do I, where do you find it? Dua ibn Mas'ud Nisif Shaban, just to to get the exact wording. Um, can you put a link to Ryan if you have one? Like if you found a link anywhere. And this is a strong narration. It's not some kind of like narration. Right? This is a serious narration. Allahumma ya manni wa la Oh, the one who gives and he can boast about giving and nobody could boast about giving him anything. Ya jalali wal ikram. Ya wal in'am. Oh, the one who blesses. Who gives gifts to others? La ilaha illa anta. There's none worthy of worship but you. And you are the 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 pillar for those who are seeking help. Wajar al mustajirin. The 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 jar is somebody who's next to you and you need and you need someone next to you. al the security for those who have fear. Oh Allah, if you have written you. Amongst you in Ummul Kitab as miserable or deprived or rejected or impoverished in wealth, then wipe this, O Allah, by your favor, wipe away my misery, wipe away my being deprived, wipe away my being expelled, and wipe away my poverty. And confirm me in your Ummul Kitab as happy, as given sustenance, sustained, and given tawfiq, 
to do what is good. فإنك قلت وقولك الحق في كتابك المنزل على لسان نبيك المرسل يمحو الله ما يشاء because you said in your book uh, that has been sent to your prophet and messenger Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يمحو الله ما يشاء ويثبت عنده أم الكتاب you wipe away you what you wish and you keep what you wish and with you is Um al-Kitab Ilahi, O oh my Lord بالتجلي الأعظم with the great manifestation في ليلة النصف من شهر شعبان المكرم in the mid the, the night of شعبان المكرم التي يفرق فيها كل أمر حكيم in which all wise affairs are uh, are, are, are decided يفرق فيها كل أمر حكيم ويبرم أن تكشف عنا من البلاء relieve us from the trials ما نعلم ولا ما لا نعلم what we know and what we don't know وما أنت به أعلم and what you know إنك أنت العز الأكرم you are the most noble and you are the most generous وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم and I have uh, said earlier about this that it is found in the musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba العلامة the teacher of Imam Muslim the great scholar and the great narrator of Hadith Ibn Abi Shayba he re- narrates this in the Musannaf okay so uh, that's the answer to that question and how this mas'ala of Nisf Shaban is uh, an important mas'ala that has basis with the Sahaba and with the early Muhaddithin so look up the dua of Abdullah bin Mas'ud for Laylat and Nisfi min Shaban and repeat it often and mingle it with your own personal adaya and your own personal prayers. Okay. All right. So um, I think that we have reached our end for tonight. Tomorrow we finish the rest of the book on Laylat and Nisfi min Shaban. And we will have really given, alhamdulillah, a strong effort in educating everybody in um, looking at what this, why this night is ev- is important. A lot of people never even heard about it, but now you will. I mean, you're learning something new every day. Um, Mona A is asking, is middle night 14th or 15th? So, so no, the middle meaning the 15th. The nisf is 15th. So we assume as if it's 30. So the middle is 15th. So that means Thursday night, the night between Thursday and Friday. Jazakum Allah khairan everybody. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa amilu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi